That was good. God bless you, Terry. Choir, our soloist, praise band, orchestra. Thank you. Using your gifts. We give God the honor and glory for that. It says all the talent we have comes from Him. So we give Him the glory for all that. Thank you for joining us today on our simulcast. You're out there somewhere in the U.S. or across the pond. Blessed to have you with us this morning. We're looking at a message that has to do with a mess, and there's no perhaps better person to talk about a mess than Bubba, right? It seems when Bubba was a little boy, he did things like pretend. We may have lost a little bit of that since everything is kind of virtual and you can pick it up, but back in the old days, like in the 80s, 70s, 60s, none of your business, man. Pretend. So Bubba was out in the yard. He took his mama's broom and pretending he was riding a horse in the yard and having fun riding around and scouting. Before you know it, it's dust time. The call goes out for supper and you don't have to call Bubba twice or Geratelli. He's right into the house for that. After supper, it's already turned dark. It's cloudy. It's overcast. And it's dark outside. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're driving those nights, kind of dark and overcast. I hate that, but it is what it is. Mama's looking for a broom. Ready to sweep up after supper, and there's no broom to be found. Bubba, did you have my broom? Yes, ma'am. Where is it? I left it outside. Go get it. But Mama, I'm scared of the dark. Bubba, don't you be scared. The Lord's with you out there. So Bubba just goes to the back door. He cracks it and yells out, Lord, if you're out there, bring me that broom. (laughs) It's an oldie but a goodie. The bottom line is the Lord is out there. The Lord is out there and sometimes as plain as... As obvious as that is, I came all the way here, got dressed, to hear the Lord is out there, yes. Because today's message is, there's a message inside of a mess. And if you think of yourself or your life as not a mess, and I'm not talking about characterized by that, by being an Eeyore and everything's bad, but stuff happens in life, doesn't it? Have you experienced a mess in your life? All of us have. I don't care if it's a job loss or some kind of relational thing or something perhaps with your children, grandchildren, with a spouse, with a friend, a neighbor, a workplace, driving, right? There's a message inside of a mess. And right now there's probably some in this room in the midst of a very significant mess. We would define messes. But today I want you to listen carefully because there's a great message for every person here regarding there's a message inside of a mess. I don't have to be here today and have an opening prayer that says, and I pray that you'll never be forgotten in your life. I pray that you'll never understand the dynamic of what have you done for me lately. I pray that you'll never be treated unfairly. I pray that no one will ever try and have control over you to a dysfunctional point. I pray you'll never be surrounded by evil. I don't have to pray that prayer that that won't happen because it's going to happen. Those things happen to us on this earth. And to pray for the removal of that is many times to miss 
the message in the mess. And God doesn't want us to miss the message in the mess. And in fact, it's through those very dynamics that we get to learn something about the nature, the essence, and character of God. So today's message is, there's a message inside of a mess. It starts in the book of Exodus, chapter 1. Our message will be going through parts of chapter 1 and chapter 2. Forgotten. Forgotten. What have you done for Egypt lately? To set the scene for this, Joseph, who was in prison, tells Pharaoh what he had dreamed tells about this prophecy of the famine. Joseph is made the second highest person in the most powerful kingdom of the world. He literally saves Egypt from starvation. Pretty good thing to be known at, isn't it? He saves them. And, well, what have you done for me lately? Exodus 1, 6-9. Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful, multiplied greatly, and became exceedingly numerous, so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Hmm. Do you see a little problem arising here? By the way, it blows me away in such a short time. That something that powerful, that saved the nation from extinction, basically, they, they had, would have had no food and died. This king doesn't know about Joseph, about what he did, how he saved the land. So there he is, and to be forgotten is to be part of the human experience. If you're a parent, you may understand it. Some of you that are older now as students, taking care of your power bill if you're renting a house or paying toward rent and toward your cell phone. You understand what it's like to forget, you know, I had this great for so many years. Mom and dad took care of this, and sometimes I shouldn't have been arrogant when I said, then why don't I have this and so on? They forgot. I was getting all this. You see, to be forgotten, it's just part of this human experience, and God lets us experience it. It doesn't have to just be there. Some of you are overlooked for raises or promotions, forgotten. Some even overlooked in other places, perhaps even in your family, even your marriage, forgotten. What have you done for me lately? Taking things for granted sometimes. I got this stuff, but you know. And what's even crazier, sometimes people get entitled because the same things keep happening. The same blessings come. And sometimes the idea is my mom or my dad or both of them go in to the office. They sit down, drink coffee all day, have people... Uh, massage their feet and cut their hair and take care of them and then send them home with bunches of money. Right? Does anyone have that? I don't know. Where is that place? So we can be underappreciated, not appreciated, forgotten. It says, the Lord said that he is watching over us. He's taking care of us. The Lord The message is in the midst of a mess. I'll bring up the next slide while I take out something I'd like to read to you. Just read part of it from this book. There we go. Remember, today's message talks about a mess. Want to hear a mess? This is a forward to a book written by a mother. And it starts out as a mother, and it tells the children's names. I had a lot of challenges. 
There's an understatement. Listen. Being one of 24 children, getting married at age 13, and later having to get a divorce after finding out my husband was a bigamist were just a few of them. Wow. Hold on to that. We'll get back to that. So we can see in life, not just you, not just me, but all people have challenges and messes. You may be in some kind of a mess right now. I don't know what it is. There's health messes. There's all kinds of messes. Some are self-induced, but many times the messes, messes come upon us, don't they? We're just there in the way. We happen to be stopped at a light. Someone didn't see something. We're texting. We're in the middle of a mess, a big mess. The Word of God says, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Pharaoh recognizes the problem. These guys are getting, they're so prolific that they could potentially overtake it. They haven't done it yet. And there's no inclination they ever would, but he makes a problem for himself. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. And so we have the dynamic of being forgotten. It's important to remember. And even today, as I say to you, your parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, people in this church, it's why we recognize when someone's being baptized, if you're part of the family that invested in someone, part of any member of our church that invested, we celebrate that. We have you stand because God uses all of us to paint with his invisible paint to make a difference in the lives of people. I don't want to forget those that have made an investment, but sometimes we can. So today may be a reminder to you to remember something or someone or some situation. But more importantly, to remember you're not forgotten by God. God has not forgotten me, has not forgotten you. Secondly today, unjust treatment. Have you been, well, have you ever been treated unfairly? Look at the passage, Exodus 1, 11 through 14. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them, say it out loud, ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. When you see something repeated in a particular passage in such a close proximity, what's the message here? They were treated how? Ruthlessly. So the existence is not good. They're being whipped. They're being into forced labor. They're in the fields and... Humanity sometimes just didn't learn, does it? The more they're oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. There's a, there's a correlation there. I hate to say it, but sometimes it's oppression and persecution that finally drives people, even believers, out to growth. In Acts 8, we see the oppression of the church, the persecution of the church. They spread out and the church grows like wildfire. Sometimes, like you, you've already answered the question, I've wondered... Will it take persecution for us to be all we're supposed to be? I pray it doesn't. But I wonder. I pray it doesn't. Unjust treatment. Have you ever been 
treated unfairly. So the more they're oppressed, the more they spread. And in all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. You want to talk about unfair treatment? Just because they were born by certain parentage, they're being treated so harshly, it's unbelievable. And so we have this scenario. They forget, what have you done for Egypt lately? Forgetting it was from Joseph and his people, Joseph having come out of those people, that they're able to have what they have now. And treats them unfairly after all of that. Well, there's a message in a mess. What does Pharaoh do as they're multiplying and all that? Bring up the next passage. I'll use my power to control you. Has the workplace, family, friends, sick relationships, governments. I'll use my power to control you. Ever have or feel someone's trying to control that? Narrow the line so much you have to go a certain way, oppress you for it. So Pharaoh comes up with his idea. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. And so it's so easy as you're reading your devotional time or reading through the Bible in a year to keep reading past this without stopping and thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't have to be a parent to understand this, but you can imagine those parents in here that can, and there's even a little baby right over there, Can you even imagine your child is born and either you or one of those officers takes that baby and throws it into a river? And you can use your imagination watching that child drown, be swept down river. This is not just some sentence inside of a book and he had them all thrown in the river, had a decree. This person had the power to do it and it was happening. It's horrible that anyone would try to kill babies. Do you get the point? It's horrible and some things don't change. Throw them in the eye. We don't want them producing any more offspring. Here's how we'll fix it. We'll do something really wrong to fix a supposed problem. You get it? We'll do something so awful. We'll murder to fix a problem. because, And it's a supposed problem. Pretty crazy, isn't it? You see, power and control have been around since the beginning of time. And perhaps you have been forgotten. Perhaps you've been treated unfairly. Perhaps... There's been some control put on me or you we just don't like. There's a message in a mess. And I look around this room, and I know some of the stories around this room. I've seen many of you in the midst of the mess. Seen it. Watched some of you going through that. And I'm not talking about easy things like I lost a $10 bill. About some difficult things. So... What do you do when you're surrounded by evil? What now? You ever been surrounded by evil? Some of our students on campuses probably feel that at times. I don't know. I'd imagine, as I've walked across campuses, Ryan, you do it all the time. You see lots of different posters and ideas for things that are not biblical ideas, am I right? And many of these students 
build bridges on those campuses and witness on the campus and look to have discipleship groups out there because they care. They're trying to make a difference. But they're surrounded by a lot of people who do not believe what they believe. You see, they have a different worldview. Worldview doesn't mean we're ascribing to what the world does. Worldview means how do you view the world? And many of them view the world without God's Word, without Christ as their Savior. They view it as secular humanist. We view it as all of history comes through God's Word. All of salvation comes through God Almighty. So we're at divergent worldviews, aren't we? So God bless you students that are out there as a witness. Some of you in the workplace feel like you've been surrounded by evil. You may be the only believer in your office or in that workplace, and the things that happen around you are shocking. In fact, some of you have been forgotten for raises, for promotions, surrounded by evil. What now? Some of you may even have families that may not call you evil, but they think you're a threat because you're better than them, according to their estimation, because you pray or go to church. Think you're better than me? I always like to answer that with, no, I'm worse. I think I'm worse than you. Just to get a, a rise out of someone. But Exodus 2, 1 through 4 tells us. Here you have, and think about and put yourself in that place. You're a parent, you've had a baby. What are you going to do? Let me ask you again. What are you going to do? You're surrounded by evil. Someone's trying to control you. They forgot all the past that happened through you. You're getting this unfair treatment. Not only have to throw your baby, your son, in the river, but you're getting treated harshly and made to be a slave. And so what are you going to do? A lot of people give up. A lot of people curse God. A lot of people say, all I can do is a little thing. Never. Never use the excuse, all I can do is just this little thing, because a little thing in the hand of God's a big thing. Exodus 2, 1 through 4. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth of all the, of all the luck to a son. Right? Oh my, why couldn't, the one time I wanted a girl, it's a son. When she thought he was a fine child, she hid him. For three months. Imagine how stressful that was. You want to talk about a mess? Hmm? Having to hide him so someone doesn't hear her cry or see her with this child. Rip the child from her arms and go to the river and throw it in the river. And after three seconds, nevertheless three months, you can get pretty bonded to your child, can't you? There's love here and she loves this, that the parents love this child. But when she could hide him no longer, the Bible doesn't tell us why. But maybe they're going house after house, tent after tent, going in, seeing if there's any children there. And it's finally coming up to that row, that section where they live, where they're going to look. And it doesn't even say what would happen to you if you disobeyed it. The family's at peril. Certainly the baby is. When she could hide him no longer... She got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. And so the scene, 
here's your child. She could hide him no longer. She doesn't quit. You know what she does? She fights back with a little. And I don't mean fight dirty or fight... when you. Sometimes we have to just stand in the face of evil, don't we? Sometimes we have to stand and say, no, this is wrong. And there's a reproach that comes with that because a lot of our world marches to the beat of a different drum. But wrong is wrong and evil is evil. That's what God calls it. And so, here's the scene. We don't know if God gave her something in a dream or if, in looking at all the things that are taking place, she said, I can't bear to throw this child into the river and kill this beautiful child. I'll get a basket, we'll coat it with tar and pitch, and we'll place it among the reeds and see what will happen. It's something. It's not much. Maybe there's no hope, and maybe it'll break free from the reeds and still end up by a bank someplace, and the child will starve or die another way or tip over. But I've got to do something, even if it's a little. So bring up that entire list. But you can hide him no longer. She gets the basket. She coats it. What good is that going to do? So we'll put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Why don't you put it out in the woods or something or out somewhere in the field? Why have him so close there he can just die anyway as soon as someone sees it? It's a, a Hebrew child back into the river. But it says, his sister Miriam, she stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So we see even in the midst of the little thing, there's a glimmer of hope. What would God do when we've done the smallest thing we could do. What will God do? Let's be a witness to this. She stood at a distance and watched. No doubt to go back. Tell mom and dad, the rest of the extended family. I have to report to you that someone saw it. One of Pharaoh's men saw it and threw our baby in the river. I'm sorry to report that the basket broke loose. and Tipped over. I watched it go into the distance and infinity. I don't know what happened. But they did something. They did something believing God could do something with this. They placed them in the reeds. And some of those reeds are 16 feet tall. She could have not done anything. But she did what she could. Sometimes... When you're surrounded by evil, do what you can. It may not be the full fulfillment of everything, but even if it's a little, a little is a lot in the hand of God. So she does what she can. She fought as best as she can when faced with evil. Have you ever been forgotten? Have you ever been treated unfairly? Had someone give so much control over you, you felt smothered? You ever felt surrounded by evil? What now? Great news. God is greater than our greatest obstacle. See, sometimes we can lose being enamored with how powerful and wonderful God is. We think zig and then comes zag. No, God can do ten zigs in a row if he wants. Or no zigs. God can get things done we can't even think are possible because I would bet you on this day if God were to transport us back to that camp, all those people 
the crying, the mourning, the mess that is there, the biggest mess there is, and you heard the plan. Here's what they're going to do with this baby boy. How many of you would say something good's going to come from that? I'll throw myself in there. That's so that what, what's going to happen with that? How is God going to use it? Why are you doing that? Listen, God is greater than our greatest obstacle. And Exodus 2, 5 through 10, it says, Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Stop. Uh-oh. We have not only just a soldier or an officer in Pharaoh's army, we have his daughter. The child's dead. The child's dead. But no. But God. Her attendants were walking along the riverbank. Hmm. She saw the basket. But God. Once again, some of those reeds get to 16 feet. She could have been looking at her shoes, her slippers, talking to someone, looking another way. But God. She saw what? The basket among the reeds. She saw it. Imagine the sister. Uh-oh. What's going to happen? And sent her slave girl to get it. Why? As a servant of that Pharaoh's daughter, you could have told the slave girl, it's a Hebrew child, throw him in the river right now. My father has ordered that. I'm not disobeying. I'm throwing in the river. It says she opened it and saw the baby. Let me just say this. God bless you, ladies. Listen. He was crying. Uh-oh, not crying. That's the worst thing. A crying baby. It's going to happen now. And she felt sorry for him. She felt sorry for him. What a crazy scenario. That we have the dynamic of, of love for this little baby just fills Pharaoh's daughter. She sees the little baby's crying and just that cute little face and maybe tears coming down and she feels sorry for the baby. But God, right? This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, remember she'd been standing at a distance as she's watching all this unfold, probably going, this is unbelievable. They didn't throw it in the river. She's, she feels sorry for this thing. In some way, she shows that emotion. The Bible didn't say she picked it up and held him and tried to comfort him. But there's that little baby. It's hard to pick up a baby and not say, ah, isn't it? Now, there are some times when you get a deposit, you might not say, ah. You may say, woo. But that little baby's there. And Pharaoh, the, the baby's sister Ask Pharaoh's daughter, shall I get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She seizes the opportunity right there. She has to have the courage to go there and say, are they going to ask me, do you know who belongs to this child? They're going to say, who messed this up and did the wrong thing by not throwing in the river? She has the courage to go forward and say, shall I get? She automatically helps because back in that day and time, you couldn't run to the CVS or whatever drugstore you want. Go get formula. Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? What does she say? 
See, Star's a little thing. Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Wait a minute, it gets better. (laughs) Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me. As she's speaking to the mother. Then let me ask you, moms, have you ever gotten the next part? And she said, what? And I'll pay you. (laughs) Huh? This went from throwing a baby in the river to now breastfeeding a child, and you'll get paid for it. (laughs) Would you have thought that that morning? But God, you see, just a little thing. And I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. A message in a mess. A message in a complete mess. Moses' obscure beginning. Obscure and bizarre and messy ends up, as opposed to being in the river, ends up in Pharaoh's palace. And she names him Moses, drawn out. And Moses lived up to his name because the mother didn't name him. Pharaoh's daughter does because she drew him out of the, the river. And Moses drew the people out of Egypt. And Moses drew the people to God. And oftentimes being forgotten, being treated unfairly, having people run, try and run roughshod with control over us, being surrounded by evil draws us to God. It's what we need sometimes. We just don't always admit it. We try and get the mess or think it's too little. Church, never think it's too little. There's always something because there's always God. I want to read once again some of this forward in a book from a mother. As a mother, I had a lot of challenges. Being one of 24 children, getting married at age 13, and later having to get a divorce after finding out my husband was a bigamist were just a few of them. And if you read the book... He would see it. But, she writes, but God helped me every step of the way, even when I didn't notice. You see, God is working. He's working all the time. And I don't know how the plan came or what happened with all that. I do know I see lots of principles in life from it. So what happened? Would you think from that start what I'm going to tell you right now? As I've used this book 28 years ago in a conference years ago. Just to tell the truth of the type of things we're talking about right now. It says in the back, when it talks about people's life up to that point, and this book is 1990, Dr. Ben Carson is known around the world for his breakthroughs in neurosurgery, having brought some of the most innovative things to that discipline. 
In this book, Gifted Hands, it's inspiring. And from the very childhood in the inner city of Detroit is the passion and direction that this neurosurgeon followed. Dr. Ben Carson went on to do a surgery that no one else in the world would do. Twins connected at the head. A 22-hour surgery. 22 hours. And he was the head of the pediatric neurological department at Johns Hopkins. That's what he became, by the way, at age 33. And out of that beginning, and out of just doing a little like a mom that said, we're going to go get vegetables today, but we're going to ask the person who has this farm, if we pick you four bushels, can we get one for free? And she saved money that way. They say, we're going to walk to the library if we need to to get books, because I want you to know. I want you to understand a woman of faith. And thing after thing, little thing after little thing. And today, with all the accolades he had, this man is in the cabin of the President of the United States as the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. This is not a political speech. It's not, this is a story about God. Little things. How cool is God? Huh? Who could, who would think, that's, what good is that gonna do? What, what odds are gonna happen? No one would have put the odds there. No one would have put them on Moses either. And today, you may feel overwhelmed, but I want you to know something. God's in the midst of little things. May not look like it's all happening for you now. You stay true to Him. Stay true to what you know is true. Students, one plus God's always the majority. And I know on your campus it's tough and it can be hard in life. On our high school campus is the same thing. But as young adults are out there, we're proud of you and blessed that you're standing up doing what God's asked you to do. That's a wonderful thing. We truly are. God bless you. Today, you may have, you may have just picked up a certain area where God just told you, I need to do something about that. Pastors, come forward right now. Yes, Pastor, I've been forgotten. I've been treated unfairly. I've had this control thing over me. I've been surrounded by evil. Whatever it is, God may have already showed you something. You need to come forward and pray with someone or pray alone and leave it at the altar. Maybe you have just thrown up your hands and I can't do anything. It's too small. Don't believe the lie. Bring a small thing to this altar today to God and see what God will make out of a small thing. See what he'll make out of it. He can do it. If you're looking for a church home today, we'd love to invite you as a candidate for membership here. You heard what I said from the baptistry today. We believe in a Savior, not a system. If you've already received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we'd love to receive you as a candidate for membership. And lastly, the God I'm talking about is the same one who loved us, came to this earth on a mission, went to a cross to pay our penalty for sin. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. How do I know? Because look what he did. He did for us when we were helpless. We were in the biggest mess there ever was. Heaven is a perfect place, and we're not. But Jesus took the mess of our sin, put it upon himself, paid for our mess, came out of that tomb and offers eternal life as a gift. Today may be your day to receive it. You can't buy it, earn it. 
You can get caught in the paralysis of analysis trying to figure everything out. You'll do it till the day you breathe your last. Receive it by faith. Many times people say, you know, show me and I'll believe. God says, believe and I'll show you. I'm asking you to stand. Don't wait. Respond. We are here. Respond as God has spoken to your heart today. Before the throne.